Uh, I'm Jensen. I am not a pastor. I am not. I have no official title in this church. All right. I'm just a regular guy that's part of this family, and uh, I've been given the awesome privilege to be able to share with you uh, something from my heart, and I believe it uh, comes from the Word of God. And uh, hopefully that today that we will all be encouraged and we will all be brought to the next level in our walk with God. Because God is always doing a work in all of us. And as the song says, what a beautiful name. What a beautiful name. What a powerful name. What a wonderful name. Because the name of Jesus, just through Jesus Christ alone, He can bring us to the next level from stage, from strength to strength, from faith to faith, from glory to glory, according to God's Word. So, um, if you haven't seen me and my family recently, it's not because we've been deported. We haven't been... Uh, <laughs> uh, we haven't run away. Uh, we've, we've been back uh, to my uh, home country in Malaysia for the last three weeks just to connect back with family. And uh, for those of you who do not know, when you go back with family, it's not relaxing, Right? <laughs> So you think it's a holiday, it, uh, now I feel like I need a holiday to come off another holiday. Um, we've been going from places to places, meeting relatives to relatives, and being fed left, right, and center. And uh, going back to Malaysia is not the best place for you to lose weight. I can guarantee you that, right? Uh, if you've ever been to Singapore or Malaysia, don't think about losing weight. Just lose your weight before you go, and then you, you go there, and then you put it back on, right? So that, that's my tip to you. Um, so we're back heavier, and <laughs> slightly more tired, uh, but it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Uh, it's good to see uh, all our familiar faces again. So um, what I want to share with you this morning is, is pretty simple. I try to make things as simple as possible so that you, you can follow me. Uh, I don't like to, to share about really deep stuff because in the end I get myself confused anyway. So today, I want to share with you guys about conviction. Now, you heard this word a lot of times, I'm sure. People talk about it all the time. At the, uh, in the church, we talk about it. Out there in the marketplace or where we work, we talk all about it. We say, I have a conviction about this and that, this and that. But what I want to do today is actually share with you a Christian perspective on conviction. What is conviction? How we develop conviction and what is the role of conviction? And why do we even have it in the first place? So I hope you can follow me today as we go through what is conviction and how God can take our conviction and turn it around into something more powerful than just a personal conviction. Right? So are you ready? Right. So conviction. Let's go first to the meaning. What is the meaning of conviction? Conviction basically means a firmly held belief or opinion. It also, as you've seen in the papers, is also a formal declaration of, by verdict of a judge or you know, court of law that someone's guilty. So isn't it funny that actually both of it comes from the same word? One seems so negative and the other one seems so, you know, strong, right? Uh, because it comes from the word convict, right? Convict basically means to prove guilty of an offense, but it also to impress a sense of guilt. So what is conviction actually? Because this seems like a paradox. This seems like it goes against its grain, like can you have a firmly held belief or opinion and also be found guilty at the same time? To put it together, 
you know you have a conviction when you do something that challenges your conviction so bad that actually it makes you feel guilty. All right? Now, uh, a conviction is different from a preference because you might have a preference if somebody tells you, oh, I prefer this, but you prefer, you pre you prefer something else. But because it's not your conviction, you're happy to go along with it. You don't feel guilty about it. But if you feel guilty because of doing something, you are, that is your conviction. Because that is your conviction, because you know by doing it, you're going against something you believe in, and you feel guilty. So guilt is actually a natural thing. Guilt and shame is inbuilt in us because we are all creatures of conviction. Right? Nobody can tell. I, I challenge anyone that would be able to say that I have no conviction. You've just given your conviction, because your conviction is you have no conviction. Right? So, you... And I have conviction, all right? We have a firmly held belief or opinion about something, in about everything, basically. So much so that if, whenever it is challenged and if we go against it, we are going to feel a sense of guilt and shame, right? Following me so far? All right, we all have convictions. Now, hi human history and even the Bible itself is riddled with people that are full of conviction. And they have changed the world because of their conviction. You read through the Bible, you see all the heroes of the faith. They are men and women who followed their conviction. Right? And even if you see through the, the pages of history of humankind, the greatest inventions ever made, Johannes Gutenberg invented the first printing press because he wanted to print the Bible. You heard about the Wright brothers who, who created the first plane. It's because they believed that we can do anything. It's all men and women of conviction. Martin Luther, who brought about the Reformation, he had the conviction that the Bible and the Word of God should be for everybody. We are full. History is littered with men and women of conviction. And when we allow God to take our conviction to the next level, you will see something so much more powerful. So we've come to the meaning of conviction. Now let's look at how we develop conviction. How, you, you, have you ever wondered like, oh, I have this conviction about this and that, this and that. How does it ever happen? You know, it doesn't happen all of a sudden. Conviction is not permanent. I can tell you that because our convictions can change. So how do we develop conviction? Three things. We develop it through our life experiences. Good or bad. I give you an example. When I grew up in Malaysia, when I was a little boy, I'm, we, I, I was born into a working-class family, so we don't have a lot of money, and so food is important. Oh well, yes, I, I keep talking about food, but food is important, right? And one of the things that we never ever do is we don't waste food. So if there is extra food, it must be consumed or must be kept, right? So it, in many ways, it influences what I do. I have to clean my plate, even though I'm full, because that's my life experience that has influenced my conviction that food should never be wasted, right? And so that's why I, I gain weight so quickly <laughs> because I can't, waste, I, can't, I can't bear to see wasted food. But of course, wisdom tells me that I should be ordering less, <laughs> cooking less. But, you know, that, that's a different story. But, but can you see what I mean? Life experiences, good or bad, influences our conviction. In the same way, if we grew up in an abusive family, to, you, you will develop a conviction that 
uh, fathers are no good, mothers are no good, parents are useless, or a marriage is, is, is worthless because you have gone through a life experience where marriage is pretty much in shambles. Education, so where we, where we learn, where in our, in our formative years in school, we are taught a lot of things that shaped our conviction. Your culture, the culture of the day, the culture of your country, actually dictates your convictions as well. Relationships, I don't have to elaborate on that. Um, your friends and your family, they all shape your convictions. So you get all of this together and it meshes up into this, into this cake <laughs> called conviction. So now we, we know how we develop our convictions. So what happens with conviction? I can tell you that your conviction will shape your worldview, will shape how you look at life. Your conviction will dictate your values. So through your conviction, you will decide what is right and what is wrong. And through your convictions, when you know what is right, what is wrong, you will influence your thoughts. And your thoughts will influence your decisions. And your decisions will ultimately produce a behavior. So when you see someone behaving a certain way, the issue is never the issue because the issue goes right back to your conviction, goes back to where you have a firmly held belief or opinion. Now, why do we have convictions? We have convictions because that's how we are created to be. We are made to be creatures of, con of conviction because we are made in the image of God. We are made to be, to behave and think like God. If not, God wouldn't have said in Genesis that let us make men in our own image. So we are actually an image, a reflection of God. And God gives us this beautiful thing called free will. Have a think about this. When you have no free will, you can't choose to believe something, isn't it? Right? If we don't have free will, we'll just be like robots. We will just be like an animal who will live on primitive instincts, survival instincts, right? Animals don't have free will, even though sometimes we think our dog or cat has free will, but they actually don't have free will. We, they can be conditioned, right? They can be conditioned. Uh, to behave a certain way, but they have no free will. We, on the other hand, are made in the image of God with free will. And with free will, we get to choose what we believe and what we follow. And when we believe something, then we have conviction. Right? And because we have convictions, we have a conscience. Everybody has a conscience. Right? Uh, we, we might have a right conscience or a wrong conscience, but we have conscience. A conscience tells us, even though we are not, even though we, we don't walk with God, there is a conscience within us that tells us what is right, what is wrong. And that's because we are creatures of conviction. Now, when we, have, when we didn't have God in our lives, we all carry a sense of incomplete or sometimes unhealthy or powerless convictions. But I can tell you, that all our convictions started because our God is a God of conviction. When I say God, we are made in God's image, that means God has His own convictions. Can I share with you what God's conviction is of all of us? Right? The Bible is full of 
promises about God's conviction of us means what He believes of us, what He thinks of us. God believes that because we have chosen back in Genesis to reject God, He has to punish. He has to punish our rejection of God. It's called sin. And the wages of sin is death. We're not talking about death itself, although it's part of it, but death means a separation from God. But God believes that sin has to be judged. But God also thinks that we are worth saving because we believe in John 3, 16 and 17 that we know that scripture. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe it in Him will not perish but have life everlasting. That He hasn't come to condemn the world but to save the world through it. That means God thinks we are all worth saving. You and I. Broken people, he believes that we are all worth saving. We are worth saving in his eyes. Even though we believe many times that we are not worth saving, but God believes that you and I are worth saving. I need to say this because there are a lot of us who feel that we are not good enough for God, but I want to tell you today that God is telling you that you are worth saving. That you are worth the price he paid on the cross. You are worth the price he paid because he wants to give you a rich and satisfying life. All right? And God's conviction of us will never change. I guarantee you that. Because God says his word will never fail. His word will never pass away. That means you can be assured that God's purpose for us is always to give us a rich and satisfying life if we will come back to him, if we will give ourselves back to him for him to save us. This is a one-way, this is a, This is the best deal you can ever get because you don't need to do anything but just accept what God has already done for you, right? We never, ever, ever need to work for it. You know that one of the things that I struggled with when I I was growing up, I grew up in a a Christian household. My parents uh, gave their lives to Christ when they were dating, and so I, I was born into a Christian family. But one of the things I struggled with and uh, I believe that a lot of us who grew up in Christian households sort of struggle with is, is I always feel that I have, I'm not, I have to do more to make God happy, right? Because we grew up in a, unfortunately, we grew up in, a, in, in, a, in churches or even in a, a system that, that dictates a certain kind of behavior so that if you behave like this, God will love you indirectly. We call it legalism. Basically, we call it legalism. And I can tell you for sure that the Pentecostal church has legalism in it, right? Every church has, if we are not careful, we will introduce legalism. And as a result, people will feel that we need to work for our salvation. And every time I feel in my heart that, oh God, will you, will you listen to my prayer because I don't think I prayed enough. I haven't prayed long enough. I haven't worshipped long enough. My feelings are, my feelings are, are sort of, I don't feel like worshipping you, that means I've sinned. You know, these are the things that if we are not careful, we will allow legalism to come in. But God had to take me through a process to reassure me that salvation is not about how well you pray the sinner's prayer. <laughs> All right? It's not about how, uh, how good you are in church, but it's just a matter of believing. Just a matter of saying, God, I believe in you. And you're born, you're born again. In fact, you don't even need to answer an altar call. Oh, for those who don't know what an altar call is, it's like we, we have to put up our hands and get, out, get up to the front and then show the whole world that we have accepted Christ. No, actually, yes, it's, 
It's, it's, it's that easy. We, we don't need to do any of that. Right? We can just... The Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, we are saved. That's it. All right? End of story. If we add another word to it, we are not doing what is right. And God had to take a while to actually help me unlearn this false truth that we have to behave a certain way. In fact, I might even be controversial and say, there's no such thing as Sunday being, being the real day for church. You can have church any day, right? When, when, I, when, I, when I was younger, I went for a mission trip to uh, indigenous people in Malaysia. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every day is church. I was thinking, it's like, gee. <laughs> uh, you get what I mean, people? We, have to get, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to help us unlearn in many ways what, what is basically is lifeless religion in many ways. Now, that doesn't mean you don't come to church every Sunday here, all right? So, before I get a phone call from Pastor, from Pastor Rob and say, just what have you done? Because I want to show you later in my message that, that what we're doing is actually scriptural and is, and is actually a good conviction. Now, let's talk about conviction to conversion. Our conviction, the most powerful conviction you could ever get is our very first conviction that we need God. And this can only happen through the Holy Spirit. We will never get to God by trying to reason God out. If I can interview most of us here who have walked with God, you, will de- you can definitely tell me that it hasn't really come because you have, you have done the math, everything, all right, it's fine. All right, oh yeah, I will, I will receive Christ. All right, even though God does work through that, But in the end of the day, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that He can convict us of our sin and bring us back to Him. Look at John 16, 8 to 9. Jesus said, When the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of its sin and God's righteousness and the coming judgment. It's quite a big statement, isn't it? There's lots of sins in this world, but God named only that one sin that the Holy Spirit needs to come and convict, which is the sin that He refuses to believe in Jesus Christ. And so this is the greatest sin, in, in essence, when we rejected God and said, God, I do not need you. It's only the Holy Spirit that can come even today that convicts us and say, look, you need to believe in Jesus Christ, that we need Jesus, right? It's not about that you're a sinner, but I say, we need Jesus. Ephesians 2.8 says, God saved you by His grace when you believed, and we can never take credit for this. So we can never take credit for this, whether we, are, we have been a Christian all our lives or where we have a dramatic conversion to know Christ. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. And so no one of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. And once again, He created us anew. So when we receive Christ, He has made us a new person so that he, we can do the good things He's planned to us long ago which is the good and satisfying life that I told you earlier on. So God saved us. God convicted us and brought us back to Him So because He's got a mission for us, because He wants us to do great things for Him. Right. So God saved us by His grace, and we can never take credit for it. So when we are convicted and we come to Christ, 
Can I just share with you about, you know, many times we always think about the, uh, you know, that moment. Some of us have very powerful testimony, which is the story of how we come to know Christ, where, oh, I was, I was lame, and then God healed me, and then I can walk, and then I believe. But some of us don't really have that dramatic story, isn't it? Some of us are like, oh, well, I don't even know when I came to Christ. And this is one of, this is one of the things that especially second-generation Christians, we, we have to deal with. It's like, God, am I... When did I know you? <laughs> I grew up in Sunday school or kids' church all my life, and I, when, when have I walked with you? This is the thing that bugged me when I was younger. And, and a Christian leader actually challenged me to say that God can save us sometimes. Some of us have a salvation that is like a bee sting. Ouch! And then we came to know Christ. But some of us, our salvation is like a budding flower. Like we don't really know when, but in the end it bloomed and we came to know Christ. So I want to challenge you. I just want to encourage those of us who don't have that dramatic story that God, God, am I really saved? How many times I have to, how many times I have to do this or that to be sure that I am saved? I want to tell you today that you are saved just because of the word that I've spoken earlier on, that when we confess and we believe. When we don't really know, it's like a budding flower. Because God can do all things, isn't it? God doesn't need to have a, a Saul of Tarsus moment where the bright light shines the, from the heavens and say, oh, why are you persecuting me, Jensen? Why are you persecuting me? Look, there's no such thing. Some of us have that, some of us won't, right? But it doesn't take away the fact that we are all saved by His grace. So now that we have a new life, God wants to deal with our convictions. God wants to work in us to develop godly convictions. Because we are new, God has given us a clean slate. That means He can work through us. Philippians 2, 12-13, Paul says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving the, you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Can you, do you notice there is two parts to this? There is a part where it's our part, which is our active part, and the other part is what we just allow God to do. So that means to develop godly convictions, we have to work hard. We actually have to be actively allowing God to shape us, to shape our convictions, to help us unlearn some of our convictions that are not healthy or that are not according to His Word. And then God will automatically give you the desire and the power if we actually allow Him to and work hard. So how do we work hard? You say, oh, it's so easy for you to say, oh, I'm just going to work hard. So what, what, how do we shape godly convictions by allowing God to work through us? There's few things we can do. I go back to the slide again where we talked about how we develop our convictions. Now in our new life, we get to develop it with these three things as well. We need relationships in God's family. I'm sure you've heard it preached before from the stage uh, by Pastor Rob and many of our leaders that being part of a church is like iron sharpens iron. I can tell you the truth about why some, some of us have been hurt by church. And I, I have grew up in, in church uh, most of my life and I've been to quite a few churches and I can totally understand that many times that we have been hurt by the church, by people in the church. Um, and it is, it is really sad because most of my friends who I used to grow up in, in church, uh, a lot, more than half of them, they have been hurt in a way, and some of them have 
even left the faith. And, and it breaks my heart because, because what happens sometimes in church because of failed relationships should never ever influence our view of God, but it, had, it has happened. And for those who have been hurt by church, we, we re, really want to say, you know, I can't say, I'll, I'll say sorry in a sense because the church has failed you, but Jesus has never failed you. Jesus has never, ever failed you, right? And I want to encourage you, for those of you who have been away from church or been hurt by church, I want to tell you that it doesn't have to be this way, right? God can heal you from the hurt. God can heal you from the brokenness that came from being hurt by the church. What the actions of a church leader or whoever it is does not necessarily mean that God was behind it. Relationships in God's family. Do you know why we, it's so important for us to get together? When I got together with, with Sharon, um, you feel like or you're in love and you, wanna, you, you, you know everything about her. Wrong! <laughs> you go to her family and then they spill out all the beans and all like, yeah, she was like this when she grew up, she's blah, 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 blah. And likewise, when she comes to my family, he says, oh, Jensen is not the angel. He's blah, 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 blah. He meets his friends and he's like, oh, oh he's, he, he's a naughty boy and blah, 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 blah. Right? So you think you know someone, but you don't really know someone until you meet the whole family. Likewise, we come to church. We feel that like we know God, but I can tell you that God is so much bigger than us. And when we come together, you can, you can be encouraged by what God did with the other person or the other person or the other person. And then you actually feel that, I actually know God better. I actually know God better because I have seen Him work in other people's lives. I, I have such a deeper understanding of God because I see that God can't just do this. He can do so much more because I've seen so much more through other people's lives. And as we encourage each other, we develop godly convictions. When we put God into our new life experiences, that means that when we're sick, we pray, God healed us. You get a new revelation. You get a new conviction that God heals you. And when we read through God's Word, it gives us a whole new revelation of how, how great God is or what God can do or who God is. So all these three things will mash up together in an even better cake. Cake called godly convictions. Following me so far? So developing godly convictions, this is how we allow God to work through us, by allowing Him in our prayer life, reading God's Word and being part of a family. Yes, we will hurt each other. Yes, it's a guarantee that we will fail each other. But I hope that you can see the greater picture. The greater picture is not just about the temporary hurts that we all have, because we are, we are all work in progress. We are all broken people, and God has to deal with my convictions, and all God has to deal with your convictions too. And sometimes our convictions are going to clash. And this is where I want to share a little bit about how do we live with each other um, despite of what God is doing in our convictions. Because my convictions can be different from Con's conviction, can be very different to Clive's conviction, can be very different to Gabriel's convictions. All right? But we all have a shared conviction. There are convictions that are shared because... There is no negotiation about it. If it's, if it's according to the Bible, according to God's Word, that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, every other conviction that is foreign from that is not from God. So I am talking about convictions that the Bible really has no clear message about. Right? So we all have different convictions, such as some of us don't believe in alcohol. We, we don't want to touch alcohol. 
Some of us don't want to do a, a certain activity because we feel that, because God has been working in us and says that, look, uh, I prefer that you, you stay away from these things. Some of us, God doesn't work with us in that particular area, so we don't have that conviction about a certain issue. But in the, in the church of God, we are all the same branch. We are all the same vine, right? Uh, so it doesn't matter where you are. We are still connected to the same vine, right? We have to remember that when we remain in Jesus Christ, we are always part of the same vine. That includes the church down the road. That includes the church way halfway across the globe. We are part of the same vine. We are part of the same vine. So when you look at it, we are part of the same vine because of our shared conviction, which is according to God's word, then we will begin to allow some liberty among our personal convictions. One of the biggest issues that the Apostle Paul had to deal with when he was, in, um, when, when he was doing the ministry, when he wrote his letters, is divisions in the church. If you actually read through Paul's letters, there's so much about him addressing arguments, addressing disputes in church. And one of the biggest disputes is during that time is what food to eat. See, food again, right? <laughs> because at that time, many of the Jews in Rome are a bit confused on whether they can, because they live in a pagan culture, they are not sure whether they can eat food offered to idols and so on and so forth. And there has been a lot of divisions and judgment against each other in the church about, oh, you're a sinner because you are, you're eating food offered to idols. I mean, in our culture nowadays, food is not too much of an issue, but you can always think about other things that might divide the opinions in the church. Paul says, first and foremost, that we do not live for ourselves or die for ourselves. For if we live, it is to honor God. And if we do, it is to honor God. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Back to the message of the vine. So the Apostle Paul is telling us that if God has given you a conviction about a certain issue and it's aligned with the Word of God, live it. Do it. Because he says in Romans 14, 23, if you have doubts whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. Or if you are not following your convictions, because you're not following your convictions and if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. So I challenge you that whatever the Holy Spirit has challenged you, a conviction, it may be in the area of finance, it may be in the area of your health, it might be in the area of your relationships. If the Holy Spirit is challenging you about a certain conviction, do it. Because if you don't do it, you're actually disobeying God. Now, that doesn't give us the license to judge each other. Because that's the next thing. Because every time we talk about, oh, if you don't live according to your conviction, or you don't live according to the conviction of your pastor or your leaders, you're going to get judged. Paul actually addresses it in the same letter that because your conviction in the end of the day is your personal account to God. Each of us will give a personal account to God, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I can, I can put it to you in very, very, very plain everyday language. If I know a, Christ, uh, a Christian brother or sister, this is just an example, doesn't want to touch alcohol, if I go to their house, I sh shouldn't bring a glass of wine. I shouldn't bring a bottle of wine. Because in their conviction, is that they don't want to touch alcohol. 
right? So it doesn't mean it makes me a sinner if I bring alcohol, but you are actually helping, you're actually challenging their conviction and tempting them to stumble. You get me? Yeah. So we have to look out for each other, right? We have to look out for each other. But in the same way, if you have a conviction against alcohol and you see another, another brother or sister drinking alcohol, you have no right to judge, right? Because Romans 15, 7 says, accept each other as Christ has accepted you so that God may be given glory. Because your conviction about alcohol may not be the same conviction as the other person about alcohol. doesn't make them a stronger or weaker Christian, but it's just part of what God is dealing with in their lives. But you give a personal account to God. We give a personal account to God for the convictions that the Holy Spirit has given us. That's what we're accountable for. Does that make sense? Yeah. And even the Apostle Paul goes even one step further and says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he says that we should help each other do what is right. If we know a brother or sister or someone in church that is struggling with something that is not right, we should help them. We should build them up, not condemn them. And if we follow these guidelines, there will be much less disputes. There will be much less hurt in the church. There will be much more forgiveness and grace extended to each other because that's what God wants, because He wants us to be united so that we can show the world that Jesus is alive and that we serve a one true living God that can change us and can take us into a, a life that is beyond what we could ever imagine. So help us. So we need to help each other. We need to submit to one another. That means submitting to our leadership as well. Basically, so we can have church on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, or Saturday, but Rob and Pauline, Pastor Rob and Pauline, who has the responsibility of the house, says, we are having church on Sunday at 10 a.m. Why not 9.30? It's just the way it is. It's 10 a.m., and we just submit to it, right? And we just submit to it out of reverence for Christ, right? And there are many things that Rob and Pauline on the leadership will do, and that we feel that, oh, actually, I prefer the other the other way or the other way, which you may be right. But the Bible says, submit. Just submit, right? And let God deal with whatever that He wants to do with you. It's just the same thing when Peter asked Jesus, what about John? <laughs> you know, when, when Jesus reinstated Peter, he saw John coming, he said, uh, what about him? He said, what about him is my personal issue with him. You take up the cross and follow me. So we have to be obedient to what God has given to us. Now, we've talked about convictions. We talked about how to develop it. We talked about how we let God, God deal with us. And I have, the, uh, I have the worship team to come back up. I want to leave you with this final, this final word. A Christ-led conviction can only start with a Christ-centered revelation. So if you look in your convictions in your life, want us to examine ourselves and see, what are my convictions? Are they Christ-centered? Are they Christ-led? Because Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 19 is one of the most, it's almost what we call a hinge point in, in, in the Scriptures, where Jesus actually asked such a direct question to His disciples, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And this is the question the Holy Spirit wants to ask each and every one of us this morning. And He's asking us 
this morning, who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is? Because if you do not have the right revelation of who Jesus is, you can never have Christ-like convictions. We talk about in the past about if you grew up in church for, for many years, you heard about the WWJD. What would Jesus do? But what would Jesus do is way downstream because upstream, if you do not know who Jesus is, and if you do not confess who Jesus is, you will not know what would Jesus do. So, who do you say Jesus is this morning? Who do you say Jesus is? For those of you who, who find that Jesus is, is something that you've just pictured in the movies, or a, or a swear word, or, or something that is so foreign to you, I want to say that He's actually knocking on the door of your heart. And He's actually saying that I want you to connect with me. Because God says you are worth saving. You are worth having a relationship with. And no matter how unworthy you feel, I just want to tell you that God says that He is, all you need to do is say yes and He will come running to you. Who do you say Jesus is? And for those of us who've been walking with God the whole time, this is a question that we need to ask ourselves very regularly. Who do you say Jesus is? Is Jesus still the driver's seat in your life? Is Jesus in the back seat or in the boot of your car? Is Jesus still the way, still the main door that you go through with every decision you make? Or is, or is He the emergency exit? Who is Jesus to you and I? And, I, and as I was preparing this message, I got convicted too because there are many times if God asked me that question honestly, I couldn't say 100% that God, Jesus, you are everything because we kept God in a corner. And God wants everything. And God desires to give us everything, but only if we give Him everything. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say I am? Can we close our eyes to give ourselves a bit of privacy and others a bit of privacy as well? I want to give ourselves a, a chance to respond to God. Asking yourself the question, who do you say I am? God is asking you today, who do you say I am? Jesus is asking, who do you say I am? Heavenly Father, I pray that today, Holy Spirit, I pray that it only takes one word from you into every single heart. It's better than two million words that comes out from my mouth. One word, Lord, I ask. Holy Spirit, conviction only comes from you. And I pray that today that you renew a sense of conviction in every single person in this room, whether we haven't known you or whether we've known you for, for a long time. I ask for that supernatural conviction of the Holy Spirit to come upon every single one of us because I know your desire is for us to draw near to you. Lord, I thank you that the conviction that comes from your Holy Spirit never tears us away from you, but it brings us closer to you. Lord, I pray that there will be a conviction this morning that draws people to you and never away from you. May we be people that will live our convictions right, that will allow you to shape our convictions and giving us the courage to live our convictions as well. I want to ask if there's any one of us this morning that you want to say, yes, I, 
when you ask me the question, who do you say Jesus is? I never knew Jesus is like that. But I really want to give this relationship with Jesus a chance. I want to let Jesus come into my life and give me this new life and shape my convictions and give me a, a new spiritual life. If that is you, well, every eyes are closed to ensure privacy. Can I encourage you to raise your hand? If that's you, raise your hand. Thank you for that hand. And for the second group of us, as we worship, shall we let the Holy Spirit speak to us and shape our conviction? For those of, uh, for the one that has put your hand up, I encourage you to come and see either Pastor Josh or, or myself after the, after the service so that we can give you a little bit of guidance on on what, on what the next step is, right? It is not a rule, it's not regulation, but it's just a giving you a, a snapshot of what it means to walk with God. That's basically what it is. And as I let the worship team lead us in the song, um, spend some time with God and just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Shall we rise? God bless you.